Today on the TalentCast, we try and figure out how to get 2% better than last week. Maybe more than that? Maybe? I don't know. We'll see. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the podcast dedicated to helping you get smarter at recruiting and hiring. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of employer brand and modern recruiting so that you, yes you, can hire better talent. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? I'm your host, James Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at the War for Talent. That's at the War for Talent. Or on the TalentCast website. Got a question? Got a topic? Got an idea? Tweet me. I'd love to hear from you. Ready to roll up your sleeves and think big? Great. Let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. So, yeah, I want to talk about optimization. I want to look. I'm a big believer that what we do is weird. As employer branders, as recruiters, as recruitment marketers, and and all of our ilk, uh, what we do is very strange. What we do is a very strange process. Um, And honestly, for all the rules that I keep hearing about that we're supposed to follow, I find that people who don't follow rules and are trying to figure it out as they go along, who are willing to muddle through it and willing to make a couple of mistakes in the the process, these are the people who are become very good at what they do, if not great at what they do. Employer branding, I've written fairly extensively on the concept that employer brand is one of those things where nothing makes any sense because we're not marketers and we're not recruiters, but we're both, but we're neither. It's a weird space to be in, right? We're, 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 uh, as I've joked, a people without a country, a people without a flag. And that was the employer brand manifesto thing. And, And that's true. I think it's true. And I think because of that, we are forced to work on metrics or forced to find metrics or manufacture metrics to justify our position on a semi-regular basis. You know, your boss comes to you and said, hey, look, I'm a recruiter and I've been a recruitment, mar- a recruitment leader for a long time. What are you doing all day long? And how does that help us? And how is that effective? Okay, um, great. You told a lot of stories and you built a lot of content and you made a video and that's great. But how did that help us? And so we're forced to scramble and we're like, okay, uh, number of views of video, Glassdoor scores, LinkedIn uh, traffic, Indeed ratings, number of applications, and all these metrics that mean nothing, that really don't matter. Um, You want more applicants or do you want better applicants? Right. There you go. Right. So more applicants is not necessarily a good thing. So why do we keep, you know, reporting on that? Why is it always in our dashboard? Yes, a glass door that's higher, glass door score that's higher is a lot easier to recruit for than a glass score, glass door score that's lower. That's a long, weird sentence. Um, but what's the difference between a three three and a three four? How to quantify that value? I've I've asked Glassdoor themselves. I said, you know, is there anything that says for every point one? Uh, or one-tenth of a point increase, is there any kind of, you know, is there an algorithm that shows for every point one increase, you get X, you get more traffic, better traffic, uh, more interest, less people ignoring you or something, and they can't quite do it. And they, you know, they have some data that says, okay, if you get a half a point score, which is pretty serious jump, um, there are some broad correlated but not causated relationship driven benefits and that's great but there's no clear one-to-one hey you bumped your score your glass door score up by a point one great how did that help us don't know okay and that's kind of how recruitment marketing and employer brand kind of lives it's not always obvious how what we're doing helps however we still have bosses and we still have leaders and we still have people who we have to report into who say justify yourself and frankly that's good we want to justify your ability and justify your skill and and the the salary you're collecting and the bonus and all that good stuff you need to justify that everybody does why why should you be any different the problem is is the second you start dropping numbers the game changes 
right? Instead of, and I think of you, you know, I think of, you know, younger employer brand people who get what employer brand is. They have that sense of, you know, my goal is to make people fall in love with this company, with the possibility of working for this company, of doing something within the scope of this company, of fulfilling their own personal professional satisfaction within this company. That's what we dream of, right? That's what a great employer brand is. That's the North Star of any employer brand is that you want people to go, man, I really want to work for that company because it will really help me satisfy my own personal and professional goals. And I would really drive professional satisfaction that I will be satisfied and stick around and all those good things. How do you measure that? <laughs> Glass door scores? Nope. Uh, traffic? Nope. ATS traffic? Nope. Applicants? Nope. I mean, it, it, you know, exit interviews? Nope. It's, it's, it's impossible to measure that stuff. It's like measuring love right? You know, really when, if I'm doing a great job as an employer brander, I want people to fall in love with the brand I'm managing. That is the platonic ideal of what we do. You want literal falling in love. You want people who are just head over heels and gaga and sending professional roses and candy to these companies saying, please, I want to work for you. I'm in love with your brand. I'm in love with what you're doing. I'm in love with the possibility of working for and or with you. That's what you want. So what's, how do you quantify love? What's the metrics on love? Um, someone in, in content marketing, and I wish I could remember who, um, they made the joke, you know, sometimes people have to justify what's the ROI on content marketing, and the response was, I don't know, what's the ROI on your mother's love? And that's not a, a put down, it's just like, look, your mother's love, you can't, you know, having parents who loved you and cared about you, you can't quantify it and you can't turn it into metrics. But let's be fair, if you have them, you generally tend to be a better person. So what's the ROI in that and how do you measure that? And it's impossible. It's an impossible task. Um, I, I go to something a little less <laughs> pointed because your mother's love has a your mom joke in it somewhere that I'm not wanting to touch. But I always say, look, if you're building a store, what's the ROI in having a front door? having a front door allows you to have customers or keeps you from having customers, but there's no value on the door itself because it's all that value of that door is contingent upon the value of the store. It's a means by allowing that store to exist. Same thing for employer brand. You have a good employer brand, you have a bad employer brand, you invest in it, you don't invest in it. It doesn't matter. You still have it and has an impact and it can lead to more people applying. It can lead to better people applying or it can lead to lots more junk applications. And it's very hard to quantify that stuff. But again, we start off in our professional career wanting people to fall in love with the brand and we end up in metrics hell. We end up trying to say, okay, here's what we're doing. We're gonna, gonna increase traffic by 3%. You know, here's my favorite. Here is my absolute favorite. The boss who says, okay, 2019's around the corner. What are your 2019 goals? And every time I'm asked that question, my answer is always the same. My goal is to be amazing. I'm sorry, I can't quantify that. I can't project that. I can't tell you what the ROI in that because I don't know what amazing looks like and I don't know what amazing is going to look like for you, right? If I do an amazing job, it might be a content marketing answer. It might be a glass door answer. It might be a job description answer. It might be a candidate experience answer. It might be a, there's a million ways to answer that question, right? How do you be amazing? But your job is to be amazing. If you're projecting what you're planning on doing, you might have some rough sketches of, okay, next year, I think we need to focus on a CRM or uh, a portal of content that sits or exists within and around the ATS so that our jobs and our content kind of, kind of mingle together or better kind of 
uh, uh, journey metrics. So you can see people are coming from this site and that site, and when they come here, they're looking for this and that. You know, that might be a goal, but the real goal is to be amazing. The goal is to rock. The goal is to just, you know, blow it up and do amazing things. But that's not how business wants you to work. They don't ever get that. They don't ever seem to say, cool, good enough. Every time I've said that to a boss, and yes, by the way, I have said that to multiple bosses. What's your goal for next year? To be amazing. What do you want? They say, okay, that's great and all, but how do I bake that into a business plan to pass that information up the chain? And herein is where optimization tends to foster. It tends to to to, to find its niche and grow like kudzu or ivy. And gra- you, know, you ever see that ivy that climbs up the building? They put these tiny little roots that gets in between the grout or the tiny little pores in a brick, you know, or the or a stone. It's like that's it's a sheer brick face. You couldn't climb up it, but somehow the vines can find tiny little places for their roots to grasp. That's kind of the same way optimization lives. Optimization lives doesn't be, isn't it because the business leader or the CEO or the owner says, you know what we need? 4% growth, as if that's some sort of flag you fly as you're charging into the breach, right? And I, I know what day it is. It's Armistice Day. Uh, you know, and, and tomorrow is Veterans Day here in the States. So maybe a poor taste. I'm not sure, depending. But, you know, St. Crispin's Day speech. There you go. Um, you know, that's that's not a thing that people get behind. People don't roll out of bed and go, ha, another challenge to achieve 4% excellence. No. Nobody wants that. Nobody finds value in 4%. Do you find value in a 4% raise? Of course not. That's a cost of living increase. That's 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 yesterday plus a little more. That's optimization. Optimization lives because your boss has to communicate to their boss who has to communicate to their boss who at some point has to communicate to a leader who will absolutely not understand what the hell it is you do 90% of the time but still has to sign off on your budget and still has to sign off on your existence as a member of that professional community, right? Your boss effectively says, well, I've decided not to fire you so I guess I'm vetting and saying it's important that you stick around for whatever level even though I don't quite get what you do or how you make an impact and let's be fair, how many of our CEOs have any clue what the hell it is we do all day. I'll wait. Just kidding. So that process of having to move things up a hierarchy and up a chain to say, look, if I put I'm going to be amazing in 2019 as a goal and have that roll up the chain, one, I'm going to be a laughing stock. Eh, I don't know if that's true. And two, they're going to come back and say, no, I need a number. And so you have to say, okay, the things I'm doing are going to help us lead to this 4% growth in a company even though the and that's the thing is that the business owner and the president or CEO or owner or whatever it is is saying okay we anticipate 4% increase this year but they'd be thrilled with a 20% increase they just don't think it's realistic to get there because they don't know quite how to get there that doesn't mean you don't know how to get there that doesn't mean you can't achieve 100% growth and of value, of your value to the company year over year over year. And I, yeah, I know how that goes. You double it and then you double it again and suddenly it's a game where you know it's, it's an exponential growth and it's terrifying. And I get that. But that doesn't mean it can't happen. Why couldn't it? Why couldn't it? Look, you, here, here's, the, here's the argument against optimization. Uh, at no point did Steve Jobs take a laptop and make it a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and 3% smaller and 4% smaller and suddenly we had an iPhone. Didn't happen that way. 
What happened was they had a laptop. It was actually a pretty good laptop. Sure, it looked like a toilet seat, but whatever. That's not a big deal. That's really not material to this conversation, but they had a pretty decent laptop, the PowerBook or whatever it was called. And Steve, good old Steve, right? Because we're best buddies. I can call him Steve um, because that's completely normal. And Steve says, you know what we need? We need to get into – I think there's a space in which we can find – build a device that exists in between a space. We're going to manufacture a brand new market. That is to say somewhere there is a space between the computer you have at home and the computer you have at work that exists on the train and exists on the plane and exists in Spain, apparently. I'm just doing Dr. Zeus now. But it exists in between spaces. It's the thing you use when you're standing in line waiting to check out or standing in line to buy stamps, as if people still buy stamps. It's the thing you do when you're waiting for something else to happen. And it's, it, it's, the, it's understanding that people's time can be sliced smaller and smaller and smaller. So at no point did Steve say, yeah, we're building the iPhone and it's going to replace the laptop. He said, okay, there's a new space and we're going to invent. Now, having invented and having optimized that for years and years and years and years, for what, about eight years, he, the t- company, and I think Steve by then was still part of this, uh, or at least played a big substantial role before he died, um, said, I bet there's a smaller pl- sp- slice of this, and it's called the watch. And funnily enough, there's a smaller slice than the watch. It's called the AirPods. So there's ways of communicating, connecting, and staying connected that get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Again, at no point did they take the, the iPhone and say, how do we squeeze it small and then make it a watch? No, what they say, they say, let's start with the concept of a f- computer that you can stick on your wrist. How much computing would you be expected to do? What would you need to know all the time? Do you need Photoshop on the Apple Watch? No. Do you need iMovie on the, photo, on the Apple Watch? Of course not. You need email. Maybe you need some phone. Maybe you need the ability to change the song on your music. Maybe to check the time. Maybe a couple of alerts. But you're not doing anything any Excel spreadsheets on your phone because if you are, you'll go blind, right? They didn't optimize their way to these amazing products. They invented them. And yet somehow, recruiting and recruitment marketers and employer branders are expected to optimize our way to greatness. And the truth is, optimization leads to growth to a point, at which point everybody's optimized. Everybody is optimized to the point of you're no longer able to squeeze any more juice out of that lemon or out of that orange, out of that lime or out of that stone. It becomes the point where there's no better way you can do that. There's no faster way you can send an offer letter. There's no better way to schedule an interview. Okay, yeah, it's it's a little wonky. It could be smoother, but it's not like – Achieving a 5% reduction in time between scheduling and, you know, in the process of scheduling an interview is going to save you a million dollars, no matter how big you are. Okay, that's not true. There's a certain scale at which that probably might. But then what? Another percent? And then what? I mean, you're, you're talking about pennies on the dollar instead of thinking about $100 notes. I think I just mixed my Britishism, you know, Britishisms and Usisms there, calling it notes. Um, there's a point at which you say, look, I, your ATS got a little faster. Great, it got 3% faster. You got one less click in the process of screening an application. Yeah, that saves you a couple of minutes every single day. That's fantastic. Does that mean you can screen 20%, 100% more candidates? No. But there are tools out there that let you say, okay, with the limited time you have, I'm going to squeeze more time. But some tools say, okay, I'm just going to make it so you no longer have to do that task. Look at some of these AI products coming out that says, look, we you collected, your, your process brings in 
50, 100, 150, 300 applications, your time is burned running through 100 applications trying to find the two or three people worth talking to. A piece of software can help you at least shut that door to be, what if it's only 50 resumes out of that 100? What if it's only 20 resumes out of that 100? What if I'm only seeing the top 10 resumes and that's good enough because within those 10 are two or three or four people who you would absolutely think are worth screening? That's a time saver. Right? That's a, that is a quantum leap in how you process your time and how you process things. It's not about helping someone read 3% faster and therefore they can grind through two or three resumes a day. This is a quantum lift, shift. This is 50% of their time is given back to them because they're not having to screen all those resumes, maybe even more. So far, so good? Fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. That's the trick. We are asked to optimize. But the truth is, optimize doesn't get us very far. The people who optimize never get very far because the end result of optimization is tapioca pudding. I'm going to let that one sit. Yeah, I didn't expect to say that when I started this podcast, but there it came out right in my mouth, and there it is. And there it is. It's tapioca pudding. It's not going to get you very far. Is it sweet? Checking the box. Is it dessert? Checking the box. Is it smooth and creamy? Checking the box. Is anybody raving about it? No. Nobody raves about tapioca pudding. It's tapioca pudding. It's the thing they feed you in a hospital. It's, it's tapioca pudding. It's slightly sweet, creamy, smooth stuff. What's the flavor of tapioca pudding? Tapioca pudding. It's, it's, it's not even that. It's slightly sweet, slightly caramelized milk. It's... it's, it's, it's bland city. But there's that's what you do when you optimize. Think about it. Think about how you communicate with a candidate. No, no, let's go back. What if it's what think about how you re, you reach out to a candidate. Okay? Now, when you reach out to a candidate, I don't care if it's in mail or LinkedIn or email or phone calls or text messages or whatever. You're reaching out and if you sound like everybody else, we should all know by now, it feels like it should go without saying, but here I am saying it anyway. If you sound like everybody else, what is your, what is your conversion rate? 3%? 1%? But you're going to optimize towards basic rules. Content marketing, advertising rules says these words are better than these words. right? It's like the book I used to buy that says these are the power words you should put in resumes. It turns out everybody read that book and everybody's put those power words in the resumes. Therefore, I have no advantages by knowing those power words. So by playing the game of best practices and optimizing and making that outreach letter a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, where you end up, it's not a great email, but an email that is boring and bland but doesn't offend anybody, right? You don't take the, you, you don't scare anybody off. But the people who are great aren't attracted to it. What you've just done is squeezed more response out of people who may have gotten their, you know, their underwear in a twist because they didn't like a word or they didn't respond to a word. What's the value of that? The great talent aren't the people who are easily offended. The great talent are the people who are going, yeah, that's not my favorite word. I'm, I'm walking away from that. They're the people who go, I want to fall in love with the company. 
Now, I don't use the concept of falling in love with a company loosely. I know it probably sounds like I do, but I don't. I had a great conversation, and I want to say hi to all, everybody at my table at Fairy God Boss uh, three days ago. Um, I won't name names because, you know, whatever happens at Fairy God Boss stays at Fairy God Boss. But thank you, Romy, for inviting me, and I owe you an email. But, and there's no one paid me for that. Uh, and no one will because I don't do that. But it was a great conversation. One of the things that came out of it is I thought, you know what? If I optimized my outreach to women when I was single, yeah, I'm getting into some dangerous territory here. If I optimized and A-B tested that first, let's call it outreach. <laughs> now things are getting weird. Let's call it outreach. If I optimized that outreach message and I optimized it for maximum conversion, what I would be doing is I would be responding to the aggregate number of people who said, I'd like to learn more about this. So if my message was, um, I don't know. Hey, I don't have a car. I don't have a place to live, but I'm really looking for one of those. I'm going to scare lots of people off. But two or three would be like, you know what? This person put it all up front and they're very honest and that's what's going on. I'm going to respond to that. However, if I change that message to, hi, I've got a good job and I've got a car and I would like to take you out to dinner, slightly more people will respond to that message than the I'm homeless and I don't have a car message. Why? Because it doesn't spook people away. But those people would probably say yes to anything because I didn't really say anything to say yes to. I didn't give them much to respond to. I simply said, I'm an adult human being who is employed, and I would like to take you on a date, i.e. the reason anybody talks to anybody at that stage of their life, right? What you're doing is you're optimizing to remove as many failures as possible. Now I'm going to tell you optimize some more, you might decide to name check the name of your car. Turns out you have a nice car. You've invested in your car. So you say, hey, I have a Lexus, Porsche, thingamabobber. I don't know. Call it, you know, you pick your favorite car. You pick a car that is attractive and gets you laid um, and put that out there. And turns out one, pe one more person out of a hundred responds to that because, well, they're shallow and they're there because they like the status. And I'm not saying all women are like that or all people are like that. I'm just saying you have slightly more resp higher spots rate with that EB testing. Well, guess what? Now I'm going to remove anything that's interesting and focus on, and I have a really nice watch and I wear nice clothes and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to optimize to this idea of maximum response rate. But in a million years, would I marry any of these women? No. Not in a million years. You know who I want and you know who is going to work for me? The person who responds to my honest email. The person who, or hell, I'm going to, I mean, I, for, for those who don't know, I did meet my, my wife on Craigslist, that's right, uh, on a misconnection, and it's because I was completely up front. I said, it was 7.30 at a restaurant. You were in a purple sweater and cat's eye glasses. I thought you were cute. I would love to get to know you. I put it up front. I put it right up front. Now, it's a complicated long story about what happens after that, and it's hilarious, and I will tell you what, maybe in person and over a drink one day, but I'll tell you if I had gone forward with saying, hey, I've got a, a car and I've got a, or I've got a nice car, I know her. She would never have responded. She would have laughed her ass off, tortured me mercilessly, and never seen me. We optimize because we're increasing numbers to make the numbers bigger, not always to get the outcome we want.
We want to optimize to make our Glassdoor rating better. We want to optimize to get more people to apply. We want to optimize to get more people to respond to our outreach. Why? Because it feels good when those things happen. You get a, an endorphin rush when, when people respond back to you. Are they good candidates? Well, that remains to be seen. But you don't factor quality into your ratings and your optimization, so therefore, you're optimizing for the wrong thing. What you should be doing is reinventing. What you should be doing is doing the full iPhone iWatch thing and say, okay, there's another audience we're not tapping into here. We're missing out. Let's go and reach out to them. For example, and again, this goes back to fairy god bosses, which is partly why I started to think about this this way. There is a process that is, quote unquote, the best possible process. And that is, I write the best possible version of my resume, having gone to the best possible school and gotten the best possible experience, and having written the best possible version of my resume and filling it with power words and filling it with direct calls to action and making people feel confident that I know what the hell I'm talking about, I submit it to an ATS. And I make sure lots of things, like the font is very readable and scannable and parsable, and that there's nothing unusual about my resume. Nothing that will scare people away. Nothing that is uh, strange. Uh, no weird hobbies. Um, no gaps in my professional history. And I'm optimizing, and I'm optimizing. Why? Because a billion people have applied for jobs, and we've learned that if you have gaps in your resume, there's a slightly higher chance that you won't get responded to, so therefore make sure you have no gaps. Going to a slightly better school slightly increases the response rate, so you want to go to the best possible school. Optimize, 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 optimize. Now, in the aggregate, all that optimizations leads to bland motherfuckers. Bland people. Bland candidates for bland jobs who are there to do the job. And you can go back to past episodes where I talk about how the job you're applying for is not the job you actually get because it's going to change in 20 seconds. And what you're not trying, what you should be doing is hiring people who have the right aptitudes and the right, and the right, uh, uh, position and the right drive to learn and the right drive to grow that is aligned with your company, not someone who's going to do the job today because that job will not exist in 20 minutes. But again, in the aggregate, in the big picture, all these people are optimizing to this boring tapioca pudding. There ain't no sea salt caramel here. Salt on caramel? How dare you? It's delicious. You should try it but you didn't optimize your way to it. What you did is you did something different. And the reason, again, I go back to this is because of Fairy God, because, God Boss, because we were talking about women candidates, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, I haven't looked at the studies, but I'm pretty sure women are different than men. Pretty sure, pretty good on that one. I feel pretty confident. There's probably a couple of ways to, to measure that. I don't care about it, but I know that they're different. You know who else is different? Veterans. You know who else is different? African-Americans, black people, Hispanics, Latinos, uh, Indians, Asian Islanders, people from the Baltics. I don't know. Pick it. People with disabilities, people with kids, people without kids. All the people are different. And they come with different experience and they come with different skills and they come with different aptitudes. And what you're asking everyone to do is to squeeze themselves into this they take their square-shaped selves and squeeze themselves in a round-shaped hole and then judging them on their ability to fit the round hole. And you wonder why you can't find great talent? Take a moment and think about it. Now, I don't blame you for having gotten here because it's optimization that got us here. 
Let us optimize the, the process to be faster. Let us learn to invent scanners and parsers that parse resumes. Now they can look at the words on your resume, but did they? If, if Steve Jobs walked in and put a resume in front, they go. No, no, there's gaps on this resume, and I don't know what the, some of those languages are, and I don't know what some of those words are, so this is probably crazy. It's like, it's Steve Jobs. I mean, sure, he's an asshole, but he's a freaking genius. You want Steve Jobs. You want the crazy people. You want artists. And you do not optimize yourself to a process in which you are attracting artists. You do, do not optimize yourself to the iPhone. You do not optimize yourself to love. That is the problem. We have lost sight of love. We have lost sight of there are people who fall in love with their job and they fall in love with their boss and they fall in love with the company and they fall in love with the mission. This happens every single day and we regard it as an accident. It's not. Done right. It's by design and you can scale it. But we're scaling the wrong things. We're scaling our levels of optimization. We're asking everybody to look and act the same. Here's another great example, and this is apparently a very long podcast today. Apparently, I'm, apparently I'm on my high horse. Um, you ever have a candidate come in not dressed in their full interview regalia? Someone who decided to skip the jacket or the tie or the shiny shoes or the skirt? They just came in as they came in. Why did they think that? Don't they know that this process of kabuki is you put on your best possible front and we evaluate you at your best? Well, it turns out you're not hiring these people to be dressed. You're hiring them to do amazing frickin' work. But how many candidates get dinged because they didn't dress right? Because they didn't wear the right clothes? Because, or some quibbly thing, like they, things didn't quite match. They didn't look quite polished. The jacket wasn't quite tailored to fit. Their attache was not very high end. How many candidates get dinged and fall off your radar because they are not the cookie cutter? You've, and that's the problem. You've optimized an entire system to create and find the best possible cookies out of a cookie cutter. But isn't that the purpose of a cookie cutter, to make identical cookies? How can you possibly choose between people who all follow the exact same rules? They look the same. Because, as far as you can tell, Mr. and Mrs. Recruiter, they are the same. How in the world is your hiring manager expecting to choose between those things? They might as well flip a coin. And by the way, half the time they do, except they don't. What they really do is it gets to the point where they flip a coin and they don't feel confident over one or the other. They punt them back, both back to you and say, find me more people. And who does that hurt more than anybody else? Spoiler, it's you. It's you. It wastes your time and that sucks. We have asked candidates to fall in line. We have asked candidates to dress up a certain way. We have asked candidates to write a resume a certain way. We have asked candidates to follow the rules and to become as much like a boring piece of tapioca pudding as humanly possible. And we're stunned when our clients, i.e. our hiring managers, can't tell the difference or can't make a choice. We have fallen into the optimization trap. We have over-optimized and over-optimized on the wrong things. You cannot optimize for love. You cannot optimize for the iPhone. You cannot over-optimize for art 
artistry or revolution. And frankly, that's what every single business in the entire world needs. Because coming right behind you, whether you care about it, know about it, sense it or not, is that mighty word disruption. One day Uber's going to get disrupted. One day Netflix is going to get disrupted. Do you not get what Disney's trying to do? Disney's trying to disrupt Netflix, but hard. But seriously, Netflix, who turned tables on Blockbuster, themselves ripe for disruption because they don't have the same level of content as Disney does. <laughs> so don't think that just because you are number one today doesn't mean you're somebody else's, you know, what the news today is somebody else's bird liner tomorrow. Same with your company. I've worked for companies who have held on and over-optimized to the point of nothingness, to the point of irrelevance. Now, I can't fix your company, but I can help you fix your recruiting. And frankly, if you do it right, if you fix your recruiting, you fix your hiring. And when you fix your hiring, suddenly new options are on the table for your business. And that's our job, right? All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, ooh, nice 31 minutes plus some interruptions. There you go. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I will see you next week. Have a great week. And uh, thanks for sharing and all that good stuff. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.